Welcome to Passage to Wonderland, literary passages to complete your day. What do you think of when I say Parisian restaurant? Gilded ceilings and plush interiors, waitstaff who look better than you do, and of course the food. Well, if you can call it that, food is what mere mortals make, but these are divine offerings from the gods. This is what a patron may experience in a Parisian restaurant. But Edward Chisholm saw a completely different world on the other side of the kitchen door. Edward became a Parisian waiter, and he lived to tell his tale, a book called A Waiter in Paris. This is Chapter 1, Amuse-Bouche. It's lunchtime, and the tables in the dining room are filling up. The waiters, in their smart black suits and bow ties, are looking professional, busy, and distinctly French, as they scurry about handing out menus, taking orders, fielding questions, and finally disappearing, like assassins or monks, through the small swinging door at the back of the dining room. I stand there watching it all, trying to hide my mounting panic, wondering if I should come clean with one of them, take them aside, and tell them the truth, that I've absolutely no idea of what I'm doing. But I can't even do that. It would alert them to another fact I'm keen to hide, that I don't actually speak French. I'm in the middle of a smart restaurant in the capital of France, dressed to all intents and purposes, as a Parisian waiter. And I can't even speak the language. This isn't some small cafe or local bistro. This is a genuine, full-blown Parisian restaurant, replete with a terrifying woman at a lectern by the door, an army of surly waiters, a directeur who looks like Napoleon Bonaparte's much taller cousin, and a spiteful manager who wants me gone because he knows the truth. I don't belong here. I've managed to swing the job, if it can be called that, through a series of well-timed shoulder shrugs and a pre-learned monologue. If they find out now that I can't speak French, that will be it. I must fit in at all costs. If I don't, whatever this is, a job or trial shift, I'm still unsure, will be over and I'll be back to padding the frozen streets of Paris from dawn until dusk with a folder of CVs. The present facts are these. I arrived sometime after dawn in a cheap, baggy suit and have until recently been kept away from the other waiters, like the Minotaur, in an underground cellar as I polish glasses until my fingers blister. From the brief moments I've been around the other waiters, I hear the same word, runner, which I assume is me. Of course, I've no idea what a runner is, and even less idea of what he's actually meant to do. So as the restaurant continues to fill up with elegantly dressed Parisians, 
I remain as still as possible to avoid being noticed, watching the other waiters for clues, anything that allows me to decipher how it all works, how the machine runs. They move like clockwork, locked in some strange choreography, moving without thought, one step ahead of their diners, adding and removing silver cutlery, slight bows, chairs pulled out, white serviettes laid across laps, wine uncorked and served with Gaelic ceremony, discreet smiles, nods of the head. Needless to say, I have neither pen nor notepad. I've no idea what's on the menu, nor how to take orders, nor indeed if I should. I've no idea where the food comes from, nor how it's made, not even who makes it. Quite naturally, diners attempt to attract my attention. But after a couple of unsuccessful attempts at trying to understand them, I stick to ignoring them, which is surprisingly easy and gives me an air of professionalism. Just when I think I've finally succeeded at blending into the heavy red curtain behind me, I notice the thin-faced manager in his grey suit, prowling on the other side of the dining room. The restaurant, which is decorated in a classic French style, with high ceilings and low lighting, flaking gold-rimmed Louis XVI mirrors, wallpaper with fleur-de-lis motifs, and large single-glazed windows that let the flat light of a Parisian winter illuminate the whole scene, is now almost full. From the tables, light chatter, the delicate clinking of cutlery on ceramic, and expensive perfumes waft upwards to the world of the waiters, who soar above with giant silver trays, the white tea cloths draped across their forearms, trailing behind them like an aeroplane's vapor trail. The thin-faced manager is now closing in fast, so in a last-ditch bid to look busy, I decide to make a beeline for the swinging door at the back of the dining room. The door is light and swings both ways on its hinges, depositing the voyager into a world where the air is cool. There is no smell of perfume and certainly no polite chat. But it's more than a door. It's a threshold beyond which lies an entirely different world. One I glimpsed this morning. A labyrinthine world of kitchens, prep rooms, storerooms, cleaning rooms, locker rooms, bin rooms, corridors, hidden staircases, and more. And then there are the people who animate it. The hidden faces of Paris. The people whose job it is to toil away in the shadows so that you can have your meal at a decent price. Ahead of me is a dim, low-ceiling flagstone corridor leading down into the bowels of the building. On the air drift the smells of cooking, the distant shouts of men, and the sharp crashing and banging of metal. Behind me, on the other side of the door, hundreds of Parisians are waiting to be served food in the opulent surroundings of a well-known restaurant. It's the boundary between two worlds, the Paris you see and the Paris you don't. And I want to know what's there, what goes on behind the city's facade. Suddenly, the manager with a thin face bursts through the swinging door and begins berating, pushing me forcefully up the dark passageway 
towards the source of the mysterious sounds and smells. He yells. I've no idea what he's saying, but he's clearly angry. Je suis le runner, I try. Put that runner. He snaps. There's something in his tone of voice that confirms it. I am the runner. How hard can it actually be? With each aggressive shove from behind, he pushes me further along the passageway, deeper into the machine, closer to the strange noises and odors. With a last push, I trip down some steps and into a small room. There's a huddle of three men, all of them waiters, crowding around some kind of opening in the wall. There's lots of shouting going on. They push, shove, and yell at one another. Finally, like spooked pigeons, they disperse, their silver trays laden with delights. The thin-faced manager shooing them up the passageway and back into the dining room. I'm alone again. The mysterious, waist-tight opening in the wall is clear. The heat lamps burn red, like the entrance to Hades. In the dark room on the other side, a shadow moves about. Allô? I say. No response. Moments later, a bell rings. The shadow materializes into a dirty white jacket, the lower part of a person. Then silently, a pair of hands pushes out a plate. They're followed by a voice. Service. I stand there, frozen, absolutely no idea what I'm meant to do. If I take the plate of what looks like foie gras, where do I take it? Service. This time more insistent. Screw it. I'm taking it. I have no idea where to, but what's the worst that can happen? That's from A Waiter in Paris by former Parisian waiter Edward Chisholm. I think the subtitle says it all. Adventures in the Dark Heart of the City. It's published by House of Anansi Press. Thank you for listening to Passage to Wonderland. Until next time, rest easy. Rest easy.